Our first reading from the book of Acts, chapter 1. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they entered, they went to an upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these were one accord, devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who had become a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted a share in this ministry. Now this man bought a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. It became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during the time that Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. They put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias, And they prayed and said, You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen and take the place of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered among the eleven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We write the gospel according to St. John, the 17th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, I do not pray for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me from the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. Let me reread these words of Jesus from John 17. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, 
as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Another terrible symptom of evil manifested itself in our country this week, and I know that all of that weighs heavy on everyone's minds. What we see there is is sadness, and our hearts and prayers go out to all of those who lost loved ones because of that hatred that erupted and callously destroyed the lives of so many. But we know that we live in a fallen and evil world in which so many have been deceived by the original deceiver himself. And as I mentioned in my sermon two weeks ago, I focus there on his lies and the response that God gives us of his truth. And uh, today, unfortunately, we look at the rest of that verse from John 8, 44, in which Jesus says he is a murderer, and he was a murderer from the beginning. Lies, falsehoods, and murder are never far apart. But in this context and in this circumstance and situation, it's important for us to see what God has to say, the response that he gives us, so that we don't fall into despair on the one hand, or scapegoating and getting uh, lost in all sorts of, of issues and diverted from really seeing and understanding the most important remedy that God has given to us in his son, Jesus. He is the only one that can save us or anyone in this world from evil. We'll begin by talking about the problem of evil, one that we are familiar with in many ways, but always important to review its deep realities. Evil, as we saw here, was no accident. It was not caused by a lack of education or economic opportunity or anything like that. This was evil in one way or the other. And although I don't have access to all the data, I'm pretty sure that I'm seeing the same pattern again and again and again. The fingers that pull these triggers are connected to minds and part of souls that are absolutely, virtually disconnected from God. I have great doubt that there is any prior faith in God or fear in God in these people. No fear of hell, no hope of heaven either. And this is what happens when the world tells us that we don't need to listen to God. Just as Cain grew angry and hateful toward his brother Abel, even though the Lord came and warned him that sin lies at your door and its desire is for you, so those who ignore God's word will find that sin will rule over them rather than they ruling over sin. Rejecting the truth of God causes us to live in the lies of the devil. And these lies are really just a string upon the end of which is tied a bloody hook, the bloody hook of hatred and death. This is the problem of evil. Now, it is true that God has given this world gifts that help to hold the reality of evil at bay. We are thankful for government, for education, and for medicine, etc., 
But these gifts only slow the advance of evil. They keep it from absolutely destroying the world in an instant. This relentlessness of the reality of evil will only be stopped ultimately, according to the Bible, on Judgment Day, when God finally separates those who have sold themselves to evil from those who have been redeemed from it. In the meantime, God allows it to exist because he is redeeming and he is saving. And every day he is answering the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, deliver us from evil. Since we live in a world like this, and since we were once evil ourselves, dominated by it certainly, and since it is always trying to reemerge in our lives, how do we live? How do we live with it, but not be ruled by it? That is what Jesus came to teach us. And so tonight I'd like to encourage you to remember what I'm going to call the three P's that push back against this problem of evil. They are prayer and preaching and practice. The practice of the faith that God has called us to. When these weapons are drawn, you can be sure that the inhabitants of hell are sent into a fearful frenzy. The first P that pushes back against all evil in this world is prayer. And we see this in John chapter 17. The entire chapter is Jesus' prayer in the upper room before his betrayal, before all of the evil of his trial, the lies and falsehoods that were said there, and before his own violent suffering and death. This is what pushes back, and Jesus knew it. He wanted this prayer to be in the hearts and minds of his disciples when they found themselves experiencing the evils of this world. This is the way God has often done things in the past. When God began to push back against the evil of the pharaohs who had had enslaved his own people, the people of Israel, he began with some prayer sessions with a shepherd by the name of Moses. Prayer is not just people coming to God and rattling off a list of things they want God to do for them. Prayer is, first of all, listening to God speak to us through his word, and then following that with our words, which he so loves to hear from us as an activity, indeed, of our faith. God is always talking to us through his word. In fact, what we are doing right now in worship is this first P. This is pushing back against the reality of the evils of this world. And when they erupt and they cause us to wring our hands in worry or tremble even in fear, that is always a reminder to us to turn to this first P, to pray, to ask God to help us, to be with us, indeed to deliver us from evil, to pray that God would keep us connected to him, just as Jesus stressed, that we may be one, just as Jesus and the Father are one, that we together with Christ and the Father and with one another would be one in Christ. This is what is happening when we come Saturday night or Sunday morning to worship. God is reconnecting us to himself. When we receive the Lord's Supper, this bread and the body of Christ, this cup, the blood of Christ, we're not just remembering something from the past, 
but we are experiencing the reality and the presence of Christ right now. Sometimes during the week, many times I hope during the week, we also take a moment to pray. We shut down the influences of the world around us, the television, the internet, the podcast, the music, even the work and the conversations for a small conversation with God, pulling out a Bible passage or two to recall and to meditate upon, and then again to bring our words of prayer and petition to the Lord. In John 17, Jesus is realizing the evil that is falling down upon him and upon all of his disciples. But he is indeed praying that they would all stay connected to God, a bond that no evil can break. The second P that pushes back against evil, and we find it in other places of the New Testament, is preaching. Evil thoughts are constantly being pumped into this world at high pressure by the internet, movies, music, and conversations with evil-minded people. But God has given to us a mighty response to push back to all of that. Noah lived at a time, the Bible tells us, a very violent and uh, evil time himself. But the Bible says that Noah, in the midst of all of that, was quite active in this second P. He was also a preacher of righteousness. David, after he was restored from his lies and his sins, first thing David says that he does in response Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Pastors preach in churches to push back the evil from our hearts. But you go home and you also preach to your families, to your friends, and to your neighbors. So when the topic of this evil comes up, perhaps it is an opportunity for us not to get lost in all the wrangling of some of the peripheral, but peripheral but important ways of dealing with evil, but always remembering the ultimate thing that deals with evil, and that is prayer and preaching and the practicing of this Christian faith. And that gives us perhaps an opportunity to cut to the chase and simply say in all of this, in this evil world, I turn to the Lord. I look to God to first heal the evil of my own heart through my repentance and forgiveness in Christ who lived and died and rose again for me. And I look for him to protect me and to deliver me from evil now and forever. This is what people need to hear. This is the preaching that pushes back on evil. The third is to practice to practice our preaching, to practice the teachings that Jesus gave us, especially the Ten Commandments. Evil does what evil does, but faith, faith also does what faith does. Rather than become cynical and defensive about the reality of evil in this world, and rather than thinking we can simply take a defensive posture with better security cameras and more police and things like this, It's important for us to realize how insufficient those things are. If the first blow against evil is prayer and the second blow is preaching, the third blow is good work. Good works that the people of God do after having heard the preaching of the Lord and realizing what he has done for them. It is the preaching of Christ in action. 
And so children are blessed when they see their parents apologizing to each other and forgiving one another. Neighbors are blessed when they see us get up and go to church in the morning. The tired worker who maybe isn't doing his job or her job perfectly needs our patience and encouragement. The disobedient person needs our quest for justice, but also our quest for their rehabilitation. The poor need the help of getting a job or job skills so that they can provide for themselves and for their own, or they need to be provided for if they cannot provide for themselves. An evil world needs to see the people of God loving God and loving their neighbors as themselves. Again, as as Jesus taught, for example, in the parable of the wheat and the weeds, there's no way we're ever going to get rid of the evil of this world by ourselves or even by those other gifts that God has given to us, things like government and education and medicine and technology and all of those good gifts. As useful as they may be, as I said, they aren't going to solve this problem. This problem will only be solved as Jesus firmly teaches us on the day of judgment. And that is when we look forward to all things being healed and and cured. Until this time, nevertheless, we don't become cynical and we don't get lost in scapegoating and arguing about what this is all about, but rather are active in doing the things that God wants us to do with these three Ps. And on this Memorial Day weekend especially, we also remember in our prayers those who make many sacrifices and who lay their lives on the line to repress and protect us from evil. Thank God for their sacrifices, and we pray God's blessings on all their efforts. But most importantly, we pray, we preach, and we practice this faith that has overcome evil and always will. Amen.